Hi, welcome to The Insight. My name is Daniel Harrington, Chief Operating Officer at Intelligence Fusion. Today I'm joined by Alex Smith, our Global Region Analyst. Hello. And Viraj, Viraj Patney, our Senior Region Analyst for Africa. Hi. Today we are going to discuss the conspiracy culture and its impact on security during the COVID-19 pandemic. Specifically, we are looking at three main areas that are having a significant influence on business security and operations. They are the anti-vax movement, opposition to 5G, and anti-lockdown protests. If you like our content, please like, share, or leave feedback in the comments section below. So guys, why are we looking at this subject and the conspiracy and anti-vax movement? Well, I think the um, the COVID-19 pandemic um, as a whole has really proved fertile ground for both new conspiracy theories, um, but it's also served as sort of a lodestar for pre-existing ones. Most notably, as you say, the the anti-vaxxer movement um, and the and the exist, pre-existing five G conspiracies, um, both of which have have managed to be tied in um, with the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah, and also, you know, in 2019, we had the FBI. Uh, they cited multiple cases of conspiracy-driven violence in the United States. And, uh, of course, they also label the QAnon conspiracy uh, theory as a domestic terror threat as well. So, I mean, they cited cases where, you know, in California, for example, they found, uh, they arrested a man uh, after bomb-making materials were found in his car. And uh, allegedly he was planning an attack uh, to make Americans aware of Pizzagate and the New World Order. So <clears throat> we've seen how, you know, there are recent, you know, attacks on telecoms infrastructure as well. So there are real, you know, security implications for businesses and governments as well. I think as well, the, the, the COVID pandemic um, comes at a time when there is such fertile ground for conspiracy theories, especially in the last decade, when we've seen the rise of social media allowing for new sources of information and influence. So we've seen personalities such as Alex Jones or David Icke, who've got millions of followers and influence. Um, what compounds that is increasing distrust of government authorities and mainstream media during the last four or five years as well, um, as well as certain political figures such as Donald Trump um, being seen to endorse certain conspiracies. So before... Um, Donald Trump became president. Um, he was tweeting um, to, and was perceived to be endorsing um, connections to autism and, and vaccines. Um, so I think what's happened is the COVID-19 pandemic has come at an ideal time for many conspiracy theories um, to really thrive um, during the Trump, which have already been, um, you know, permanent and permeating during the uh, Trump administration as well. Yeah, and I'd, just to jump in on that, what I would say as well is that coronavirus affects everyone in a way that issues around previous conspiracy theories maybe didn't. You know, you could ignore who shot JFK and whether we land on the moon because it's not relevant. Um, but the COVID-19, you know, it affects everyone's life, so everyone mm. is interested in it in a way that, previous conspiracy theories just wouldn't gain any traction. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a perfect storm, you know, in, the, in a way, just like how you mentioned, Daniel, you know, there's there's rising distrust and disillusionment, you know, perhaps the government and, you know, prior to COVID-19, prior to the pandemic hitting, uh, you know, there was there were concerns around, you know, the global economic outlook as well. So, you know, I mean, this is why we've seen, you know, the likes of Bolsonaro in Brazil and 
you know, President Trump coming to power. And given, you know, what they have said, you know, around, uh, you know, the COVID-19 and how it's, you know, perhaps isn't uh, exactly uh, as serious as people are making, you know, as the World Health Organization are making it out to be. I think this doesn't bode well for, you know, response efforts and also given the, also given the impact that, uh, you know, these figures have on perceptions of people, of their supporters, Um, you know, and and as you mentioned as well, Daniel, you know, the social media aspect of it, you know, we, I mean, we've talked about it in previous podcasts about how, you know, these algorithms, you know, play a role, you know, in sort of creating these echo chambers as well. So, yeah, I think there's lots to think about here. And it's also, I think, exposed, uh, you know, probably, you know, the levels of, uh, poor levels of critical thinking perhaps and you know yeah. the levels of confirmation bias as well in uh, society today yeah absolutely yeah it's a really good answer i think and have we seen any global examples of of historic anti-vax incidents i know that um the anti-vax movement has been around for you know since really the 1970s and we've seen um certain uh responses um and um, individuals um, such as Andrew Wakefield coming out against certain vaccines and, and associating them with with autism. We've also seen violence committed against uh, polio workers or vaccination programs in, say, Pakistan. Um, have we seen any um, other historic anti-vax uh, incidents or movements before um, the the COVID pandemic? Yeah, I think you know. I don't think we have to look too far. Uh, you know, for any examples of historic cases, because in 2019, uh, you know, the World Health Organization, they warned about, uh, you know, the rising cases of measles worldwide. And this was the case in the, the United Kingdom, uh, United States, but also in South America, you know, and Japan as well. And, you know, look at the U.S., you know, a state of emergencies was actually put in place in uh, Clark County, in Washington. And, you know, I, we can look at the anti-vax, you know, movement and its impact on rising cases of measles. But there's also other, you know, factors that we have to look at, you know, such as, you know, at least in the United States, how uh, non-medical exemptions allowed in 18 states has also contributed to it. But at the same time, you know, you have um, prominent, you know, figures, popular figures such as, you know, Jenny McCarthy, you know, she's, uh, you know, a well-known anti-vaxxer in the United States. And, uh, you know, as you've said, you know, you you mentioned, you know, the, the link between autism, autism, you know, that she has made uh, allegedly, you know, she alleges based on her experience uh, that uh, there's a link between, you know, the MMR vaccine and autism. So, yeah, also, you know, the the role that women play, you know, especially affluent women uh, in households and, you know, the, the impact that they have on decisions uh, related to this. I think uh, this is why we're also seeing a rise in uh, measles cases in the United mm. States. And it actually reached the point where the um, World Health Organization last year listed vaccine hesitancy as one of its top 10 mm. um, threats to global health. Yeah, and uh, also in the United Kingdom, you know, when you look at the anti-vax movement, uh, th- that sentiment has always has existed, you know, long before, you know, the, the, you know what we're seeing recently. Uh, I think... It also revolves around, uh, you know, growing perception around government, uh, you know, sort of intervention around uh, individual liberties as well. So perhaps that encroachment of theirs, you know, uh, worrying to some people or certain sections of society as well. 
and uh, also in developing countries as well. You know, there were protests recently in uh, South Africa, of course, uh, you know, with uh, a lot of protesters, you know, around uh, this, this one particular hospital, they were uh, sort of accusing scientists of uh, targeting poor people mm-hmm. who may not fully understand, you know, the risks associated with taking part in these uh, vaccination trials. And prior to that, you know, you also had, you know, in Nigeria and the DRC, you know, anti-government sentiment has also contributed to mistrust around, you know, the, these vaccinations. Given the speed at which the vaccines, you know, recently have been developed, mm-hmm. there are also, I think, legitimate concerns around this, uh, perhaps. But I think pharmaceutical pharmaceutical companies and governments, you know, they have to make it clear, uh, you know, to com- communicate how uh, effective and safe this vaccine is. So how has the anti-vax movement influenced the COVID pandemic? Well, I think what we've what we have noticed is there's been a decline in people's readiness to um to accept new vaccines and and to take them. Um and this can largely be attributed to the the anti-vax movement. Um there's been a significant uh, increase in its following of prominent um anti-vaxxers such as um Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Um, and his organisation. Um, they've seen an up to, I think they've seen about 8 million new followers um, uh, throughout the course of the year. Um, overall, um, social media following for anti-vaxxer movements is calculated to have gone up about 19-20% this year. Um, and what we see as a result of that is there's been surveys that have shown a, almost a halving in the number of people that will be prepared to take a vaccine without at least some further encouragement from the medical profession. Mm. Um, around sort of the end of March, according to a, a survey done in New York of an admittedly small sample, um, about 60% of people were, would, would be willing to take the vaccine and that about a month, six, six weeks later, that had almost halved. Um, that didn't mean that everyone became an anti-vaxxer, but there was a big, big increase in the middle ground of people who said, you know, they would take a vaccine, but they would need further reassurance and encouragement from from the medical profession mm. to be ready to do that. The effect of that is, if we were to get a, in the case of COVID, imagine we do get a, a, a usable, safe, workable vaccine, um, would enough people be prepared to take it quickly enough that we actually develop, society can develop herd immunity? Um, it's no good having a vaccine if not enough people are willing to take it. And also, you know, there are certain threats to global business interests, not specifically um, from anti-vaxxers, but also from uh, a periphery of, of other um, areas. So one uh, one area that we noticed um, on the, our intelligence platform was um, COVID-19 impersonators in countries such as um, Sweden who were going around knocking on doors and pretending to be uh, COVID inspectors, um, carrying out searches of a property or asking for details and using that to enter a property to then to then rob it. We've also had uh, people imperson- impersonating police officers as well, um, conducting COVID uh, checks on, tech- on checkpoints and, again, robbing people. Um, other areas that may be a threat to businesses could be counterfeiting with with the huge profits that could be made um, on on sales of vaccines and also medical uh, 
supplies. We, we could see an uptake in counterfeit products or false labeling as well. So we've seen historic incidents such as in China where um, vaccines have been either mislabeled or they've been uh, counterfeited, which have, again have, have caused injuries to patients. Can you guys think of any other specific threats to global in business interests relating to uh, vaccinations or the pharmaceutical industry? I think most anti-vaxxers will just simply refuse to take the vaccine rather than take part in uh, these direct action protests like we've seen in London, for example. But I think the concern that for businesses is that if there are employees, certain employees that, you know, for example, refuse to take the vaccine, then will there be legal challenges uh, perhaps that, the, that these businesses face? And, you know, what way, uh, you know, is there a workaround for businesses? Will government perhaps uh, force uh, people to take the vaccine? And how would they then react to that? Uh, beyond that, I think road blockades, perhaps, you know, depending on the type of intelligence that these uh, groups that have been organizing protests in London, for example, depending on the type of capabilities and uh, uh, their intelligence, uh, we could perhaps see, you know, them targeting logistics firms, uh, which are, you know, distributing these vaccines. And this is probably the case, you know, in other continents as well, you know, probably such as Africa as well. And, I think we've seen, you know, how in the United States, uh, the likes of Bill Gates and uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci have been targets of uh, anti-vaxxers. And I think the threat is real. And we you know we've seen in the past how in the DRC, for example, uh, Ebola health workers, those that are responding, have been attacked. Uh, and so if I was an NGO worker, if I was in the humanitarian sector, and I was delivering this COVID vac COVID nineteen vaccine to a remote uh, community of a village where there's already uh, a significant amount of distrust with the outside uh, population or outside world. Then we could see attacks on health workers, given that you know they are on the front line of uh, tackling this uh, this pandemic. I think your your point on potential sabotage is is um, particularly relevant, given the difficulty and the the currently leading vaccine from Pfizer that um, everyone's sort of the first one people are getting excited about. The difficulties that that one has logistically at the minute to do with keeping it cool um, and in distribution, I sort of think that would make it more vulnerable to to sabotage than 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 other probably forthcoming vaccines might be as well. So we've covered the anti-vax movement. Um, moving on now to, to 5G, um, this is a really interesting uh, area of, of the conspiracy culture and, and COVID-19. How has the rollout of 5G technology been tied to COVID-19? Well, it, there were, it's, it's interesting because there were, there were anti-5G movements um, prior to COVID. Um, but this is an example of of the COVID-19 pandemic conspiracy really being tied into a pre-existing one where people have blamed the installation of 5G um, mobile phone towers um, to as, as the cause of, you know, the supposedly, you know, the, as they say, the fake um, coronavirus. You know, there is no virus. It, it's the 5G towers. And this is um, compounded by examples of sort of conspiracy videos that show there's one that shows a load of uh, of dead bees around a, a 5G um, tower installation, you know, with with typical conspiracy theory, um, lack of real examination, just slanting it as, look, therefore, this is what killed the bees. It's mm. killing us as well. 
Um, so yeah, it's interesting how that ties in. Yeah, I mean, as you said previously, you know, I think with 3G as well, we had mm-hmm. conspiracy theories at that time as well, con- uh, sort of linking 3G, the, uh, these 3G base stations to uh, cancer as well, um, which has, of course, been debunked since then. But uh, I think, yeah, going forward as well, you know, when we have further technology, uh, you know, rollouts such as 6G as well, yeah. I think we'll see uh, more sort of similar attacks like how we've seen on, you know, these uh, telecoms mass around uh, Europe, especially. Yeah, so looking at our platform, um, we can actually look at trends and patterns relating to uh, attacks on 5G infrastructure. So if we look into our themes um, area, we can see where and when these attacks occurred. Um, And predominantly, we've seen 5G attacks be concentrated in countries such as the Netherlands or Belgium or the UK. And these really peaked around the springtime, such as April, uh, March, in response to the initial um, COVID-19 pandemic, uh, the lockdowns. And at the time, the 5G conspiracy theory was that this uh, this technology was being used to implement uh, population control um, as well as trying to cull uh, vast areas of the global population. And you had some fringe members discussing uh, such conspiracy areas as the Georgia Guidestones, which is a, an alleged elite plan to depopulate the world and bring it back to um, like 10% of the world's population. And many of these attacks were carried out by individuals who, who believe this. As the actual COVID pandemic unfolded over the, the last year, um, what we've seen is um, many of those t- attacks which peaked in the spring have petted out. And this is, I think, as a consequence of we, we realise that the actual um, coronavirus itself isn't as been... Uh, f- as lethal as um, these conspiracy theorists were predicting. So it, it's almost undermined their actual um, ideology and, and, their, and their their reason for attacking 5G towers now that the, the, the supposed mass deaths on the streets haven't occurred. So that's, sort of, I think, an interesting point. And that's, again, that's using our own platform. We were able to, to discern that and, and identify patterns and trends. It still doesn't mean that it might not, escalate or continue if there's another twist in the in the the conspiracy of 5g um if there's another influential figure who, who ties it to some other part of covid19 but yeah it's an interesting um aspect that we have uncovered but just going to the question of you know, where we've seen attacks on infrastructure can you just elaborate a bit more on that viraj yeah so we've seen uh, you know as, as you said you mentioned the netherlands for example and I think a majority of these attacks, you know, against uh, telecoms infrastructure have been in Western Europe, and mm-hmm. most of them have taken the form of arson attacks. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've had arson attacks in southwestern, sorry, southeastern France. We've also had attacks in around London, uh, Birmingham as well in the UK, Nottingham, uh, and central areas such as uh, Leeds and Liverpool as well. But as I say, most of them are just arson attacks. Thank you. So moving on as well now to the anti-lockdown protests. So this is a third part of uh, where we're looking at um, related to the the COVID-19 pandemic and conspiracy theories. Um, We've witnessed recently um, 
more and more lockdown protests in countries such as uh, Italy and Spain. And we're starting to see them also appear in countries like the UK. Um, and I think this is due to a variety of reasons. Um, so we'll go into this in more detail in this subject matter area, but with ongoing lockdowns and often confusing and contradictory rules, populations are feeling anxious, frustrated, and looking for answers. So government policy changes and perceived incompetence are only serving as well to compound the problem and undermine, undermine faith in government. So we're seeing a lot of people now on the streets who are attending these lockdown protests are really having uh, little faith in government, and many of them uh, are starting to... Um, question government policy and is there an ulterior motive? People aren't seeing an end site uh, to this issue. And with last minute lockdowns being announced or you know, very confusing rules, people are really starting to, to look for other answers. This is compounded as well by increasing unemployment and financial uncertainty. Um, so there's a saying that when people lose everything, they lose it. And I think this is something that we're starting to potentially see in some countries such as Italy or, or, or Spain, where they've been subjected to severe lockdowns, where people are getting increasingly frustrated. They may have lost their jobs or their businesses and they see no way out to this. And they are starting to question um, government responses to the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm-hmm. So, where, where, where do you think we're, we're witnessing uh, lockdown protests and, and the reasons behind that then, Alex? Well, protests are, are really a global phenomenon. We've seen them in all corners of, uh, of the country, even in, in China. Um, there are certain hotspots, as you'd imagine, capital cities and, and business centres, um, New York, London, um, Sao Paulo has seen probably the most uh, for one city in, in South America, um, LA, San Francisco. Um, but really, you know, throughout throughout a lot of Africa, especially the Gulf of Guinea, um, right through Middle East, India, um, you know, like I say, they're really ubiquitous. They vary in size. Um, they could be anything from individual action or, or, you know, small small numbers of people, right up to, you know, 20,000 people in uh, in Leipzig. Um, they also vary in in the level of violence that they, they manifest. Some, a, a lot of them are quite peaceful, um, but some have turned violent. We've seen looting um, and destruction of, uh, of sort of commercial business property, um, especially in Spain and uh, northern Italy. Um, Germany, um, some of the some of the protests there have turned quite quite violent. Um, the police have used water cannon at, at, at times, um, and it should be said that that there's there's a broad spectrum, as you alluded to. Um, there's quite a broad spectrum in the people taking part as well. You know, from the small and medium business owners who've seen you know their their livelihoods destroyed by lockdown. Um, people who've been made unemployed, you know, people with more more grievances against the economic side, um, but they're also joined by the anti-vaxxers, um, more conspiracy mm. theorists, um, some just sort of anti-government anarchist types. Like I've I've seen the involvement of Antifa um, in some some lockdown protests. Um, so it really is a broad spectrum. It's hard, and and it would be a mistake to um to label you know take one one protest or even a group of protests and label them as anti-vaxxers or or, or just anti-lockdown. 
And I think that you know having that broad spectrum undermines maybe legitimate concerns by 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 citizens regarding either sovereign rights or or economic policy. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I would imagine that would be again a an area of frustration for many people who are attending these lockdowns that they're getting labelled by the, with along with the media as either you know kooky conspiracy theorists or as we're seeing now as well many media outlets are, are also framing many lockdown protesters as far right. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I think this is an area which it, 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 it's not productive and. Um, and not giving a fair and balanced portrayal of, of, of those people who are involved in lockdowns, which again may in turn lead to further frustration uh, and further anger from, from participants who are involved in those uh, protests. And we've seen in the UK, you know, pop stars, people from, you know, right said Fred to, to various other celebrities involved in some of these lockdown protests who are getting labeled as uh, far right, uh, which mm-hmm. seems, you know, a bit, um, a bit, bit ridiculous to be honest it it shows how polarized times are um politically um especially for example in america how something like a a global pandemic you know a health pandemic which you would think would be completely apolitical um has actually become a bit of you know a totemic issue you know right wing you know supposed Mm. right wingers won't wear masks Mm. left wingers like social distancing um, unless they're protesting something else, um, and you get characters like like Trump being pretty pretty uh, lapse in his his adherence to to any lockdown measures or, or mask wearing, um, which encourages his supporters, and and it becomes a, a left right political issue, which it has no business being really. Uh, I think the unbalanced sort of <clears throat> portrayal, you know, by the mainstream media hasn't helped in this regard. Um, you know, the recent, uh, you know, protests, uh, the pro-Trump protests, for example, in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. as you as you mentioned, you know, quite a few, you know, certain probably media outlets, you know, they uh, mentioned, you know, the lack of mask wearing, whereas mm-hmm. during the protests, well, uh, people were celebrating the projected uh, win uh, for the president-elect Biden. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, there wasn't much discussion around mask wearing then as well. Mm. So, yeah, I think this all feeds into the distrust uh, with the mainstream media perhaps as well. And we have we have seen incidents over recent months of people being attacked, um, for example, you know, on the subway. Mm. Um, yeah. It's when someone's asked to wear a mask and they, they get assaulted. Um, for And that, that cuts both ways. We've seen mm. people being assaulted for asking others to wear masks. We've seen people being assaulted for wearing masks, mm. um, which again speaks to the, the, the divide that it's created politically, certainly in the US and I think elsewhere. So who are the groups and individuals involved and what are their aims? So I'll be looking at, uh, you know, the, the different types of groups involved in the United Kingdom. And most of these anti-lockdown or anti-vax protests have been organized by the likes of Stand Up X, uh, Save Our Rights UK. And most recently, we also had the Million Mask March, which I think is an annual uh, protest yeah. movement. Anti-government yeah. sort of, yeah. Hmm. Um, and during these uh, these lockdown protests, we've had, you know, the likes of Piers Corbyn involved. In, you know, these are prominent speakers, uh, David Icke as well. And, I mean, other speakers include the likes of uh, Niall McRae, uh, Professor Dolores Cahill, uh, Dr. Casey Madej, uh, Sherry Tenpenny, 
Uh, and th- there's also the prominent uh, anti-5G activist, which is Mark Steele. So, you know, we've talked previously about how um, all these you know, different conspiracy theories or, or those proponents of these cons- conspiracy theories are uh, sort of mixing, you know, during these uh, anti-lockdown protests. But, you know, as we've also discussed, uh, this, you know, this whole anti-vax movement has, you know, existed long, long before COVID-19. Uh, so it is decentralized as well. Uh, you know, Alex, you talked about how, <clears throat> you know, with social media, you know, we've seen these social media accounts by the so-called anti-vaxxers, you know, increase mm-hmm. their following by at least, you know, seven to eight million people, yep. according to, you know, this report called by the Center for Countering Digital Hate. I mean, in the States, it's quite centered around um, a few groups. Mm. Um, the, the the most prominent um, anti-vaxxer certainly is probably um, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., um, who's got uh, an NGO which is called uh, Children's Health Defense. Mm. Um, they're actually responsible for most of the advertising um, that took place on, on social media, by which we basically mean Facebook, um, which is really where this stuff centers. Um, mm. In recent years, you know, prior to prior to the the COVID nineteen issue, um, the the anti vaxxer advertising could be could be f- sort of traced back to you know one or two organisations really. Yeah, and I think look at the names, you know, just the names of the organisations in the UK, you know, Stand Up X, Save Our Rights, uh, Keep Britain Free as well. Mm-hmm. You can just like just gives an indication of you know what they're worried about, which is, you know, in this, in this case, government, you know, encroachment uh, yeah. related to civil liberties. So, um, what, so in the near term, really, what we, what we can expect to see, I would submit would be looking at all three of these subject matter areas. We're likely to see a potential decline in 5G attacks an increasing resistance to the COVID-19 vaccination program, um, especially as it's rolled out internationally and in, in also in more uh, more hostile areas to to, to outside NGOs such as um, you know, certain parts of Africa or you know Pakistan. And we're also going to see a continuation of anti-lockdown protests, which will likely correlate with the economic environment. So, if if the economic situation deteriorates in the spring and, 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 and the new year, we're likely to see you know, more and more protests uh, globally uh, as a consequence. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I, can, I can well foresee um, what are currently anti-lockdown uh, protests. Fast forward into, into next year, spring, summer, um, when the economic reality for a lot of people really bites, big government spending schemes maybe come to a halt. Mm. Um, you know they won't be called anti-lockdown maybe because we won't be in lockdown but there will certainly be um large-scale protests around a lot of the world i think uh, as people's frustration about the you know the economic aftermath of of lockdown um and the pandemic sort of really starts to affect people's lives mm. yeah i think uh you know in those i think we'll see a lot more protests you know especially in uh, countries where Perhaps the welfare state isn't as strong. Yeah. So, you know, as you as you mentioned, a lot of these economic stimulus packages, if they're coming to an end, then I think we'll see more protests. Perhaps they might just take an anti-government turn as well, and uh, put more pressure on governments. You know, in, in the United Kingdom, at least, you know, we have uh, the whole Brexit trans- transition going mm. going on at the moment, and uh, this has added, you know, that further complexity in 
how to manage, you know, the economic impact and also uh, the the whole vaccination program now. Mm. So yeah, I think we'll see further protests at least, uh, you know, at, at least until December next year. At least what we saw with uh, one of the founders of the BioNTech, you know, the vaccine by BioNTech, he said that we could expect a return to normality by December of next year. Mm-hmm. So certainly, I do see you know a lot of protests until then especially in places such as the United States, you know, where uh, I, I know this whole, the situation is already really bad over there. Uh, millions of people have lost their jobs and millions, you know, these millions of people also have lost uh, access to healthcare as well. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot more protests, uh, especially at the United States is uh, a place to watch. Yeah I, yeah, I think calling it a return to normality Mm. is very wishful thinking. Mm. I mean, it might be a term to normality in terms of you can leave your house, um, but without a job, you might not have anywhere to go um, or a house anymore. Mm. Um, and as we have economic, economic hardship leads to, leads to extremism, where that manifests through, you know, the political sphere, through the rise of more, more and more extreme um, parties, yeah. people's participation in that right down, you know, to terrorism and, and crime um, as people seek economic opportunity outside of the mainstream um, through just through necessity. Mm. Absolutely. So in summary today, um, as part of the response to the COVID-19 pandemic, we've seen three conspiracies or anti-government movements that have emerged in prominence and received significant support globally. They are the anti-vax movement, opposition to 5G and the anti-lockdown protests. By posing our initial question, we wanted to understand the potential security and social consequences of these subject areas and how that can affect both global business operations and personal security. We looked at the business impact of these areas and touched on examples and potential threats, such as attacks on health workers or NGO personnel involved in vaccination programs, arson attacks on technology installations, and continued or escalating unrest in urban areas as a result of lockdowns. Thank you for your input today, guys. Thank you. And thank you for watching. If you liked our podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. See you next time on The Insight.